Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good afternoon. You're listening to Gambling with an Edge. Now here are your hosts, Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin. Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Today, our guest is a repeat visit from Matt at Plus EV Analytics. Matt, welcome back to our show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I think this is my third time on this show, and I love chatting with you guys every opportunity I get. So thanks for having me again. Well, I like your chances of being fourth and fifth. So, um, all right, let's start off with the Caesars lawsuit. You were involved. What happened? <laughs> All right. Yes, I'm currently involved in a little bit of small claims court uh, litigation against Caesar Sportsbook. So what happened was I bet a lot of National Football League regular season win totals. It's something I've been working on for a few years. It's a pretty reliable advantage that I've been able to get for myself. And I've, I've bet, I think, over 100 of them in this most recent season. So what I like to do as the season goes on is sort of grade my bets in progress after every week of the NFL season just to see how I'm doing. Am I tracking to win, tracking to lose, tracking to break even? So I had a pretty good idea of where I stood um, when that infamous game between Buffalo and Cincinnati was postponed on the field and then canceled after that horrible uh, cardiac event that uh, that DeMar Hamlin had. So as soon as they, they, they called the game off, I'm going to look at my stats and I'm thinking, okay, well, every bet I have says must play 17 games for action. I've got a bunch of bets on Buffalo. I've got a bunch of bets on Cincinnati. Um, some of them were still live at this point. This was near the end of the season. So some of those bets were live. Some of them were not. Um, I had one bet that was about a 50-50 chance of paying out at odds of plus 4,000. So I was in pretty good shape on on one of the bets, and the other ones were were not alive at that point. So I figured it all out. I, I assumed, okay, if they don't reschedule this game, all my bets on Buffalo and Cincinnati are going to get voided. Uh, some of my losing bets are going to get voided. Some of my bets that are very much live are going to get voided. Overall, I'm going to end up a little bit down um, on on the uh, on the event, but not not catastrophic. Life uh, life goes on. So, the rest of the season finishes off uh, the day after the final game of the NFL regular season. Caesars, who I had a lot of these bets with, graded all the bets that I had except for the ones on Buffalo and Cincinnati. I guess they were trying to figure out what to do about the fact that they did not play a game schedule. A couple of days later, I was surprised to find that the one bet that was live was graded a void, and the multiple bets that were no longer live at that point um, were graded losses. And this is straight contradiction to, number one, what it says right on the bet slip, which is must play 17 games for action. And then if you go into read their, their house rules, it also says for NFL regular season game bets, all games must, all teams must play their full scheduled uh, games for, for action. Like pretty, pretty clear cut, right? 
Um, yeah, I, I just have to laugh because it, it, this just doesn't surprise me at all that they're, <laughs> you know, your winners are void and the losers will keep. Thank yes. you very much. My, my my first inclination was this is this is crazy. You know, they're they're free rolling their customers and this is outrageous. Um, I later heard from some other people who had bets that were um, guaranteed winners that Caesars actually did pay out. So I can't accuse them of free rolling because it seems like I, I didn't have any bets that that qualified to be paid out because um, they would have won regardless of the outcome of this missing game. Uh, I only had some bets that lost and some bets that were um, un unsettled. So I wasn't personally, I didn't get any winners, but I heard of some others who did. Um, so it wasn't a complete free roll situation, but that still doesn't excuse them um, violating their own house rules. So I complained to them and they gave me the usual line of, this is the decision our traders made and we're sticking with it. And, you know, I tried to tell them that, that I, you know, I, I, your traders don't have the authority to, to violate the terms and conditions of your, your contract. And they really wanted nothing to do with it. And they said, too bad. Um, so my next point of contact was the gaming regulator in my home province of Ontario. And I'm thinking for sure these guys are going to get involved and they are going to uh, decide with me um, to get my money back. Everyone else in the same situation, at least those in Ontario, are going to be able to get their money back. And we're going to be able to put this whole thing behind us. So the Gaming Commission took a couple of weeks and, and they told me they were in contact with Caesars to get their side of the story. And they made their decision and they sided with Caesars. And I'm thinking... There's no way this can possibly be true. Like, am I, am I missing something? So I asked them, well, what was the reason for their decision? And they said, we're not going to tell you that. You have to go back to Caesars and ask them. So I did. And the reason I got from Caesars was there is a rule in, in the general terms and conditions section of their house rules. It's called the infamous rule three. And what it says that is that for all markets, for all football markets, 55 minutes of game action must be played for the bets to have action is sentence one. Sentence two of that rule is if a game is postponed, it must be rescheduled within seven days. Otherwise, all bets are void. So a couple of issues with this, and this is the, the grounds for my, my lawsuit in small claims court. Um, number one, it is very clearly obvious that this 55-minute rule is intended to apply to single game bets and not you have to play 55 minutes of the season for bets to have action because that is just an absurd reading of, of that rule. My problem number two is that there is a contradiction between this general rule and the more specific rule, both on the bet slip and in the NFL regular season wins section that says must play 17 games for action. And it's a very well-known principle of law, both in Canada and in the U.S., that whenever there's a contradiction between a more general rule and a more specific rule, the more specific rule takes priority. So Caesars did not uh, abide by that. And then my third justification is the second sentence in the infamous rule three that says if a game is postponed which it was it must be replayed within seven days which it was not so i've got three i think fairly stable fairly um solid legal arguments on my side and and so i filed this lawsuit in ontario small uh every person i've talked to whether they're industry experts regulatory experts legal experts the criticism I've got has been that it's this is not worth my time for uh, what's basically a $2,300 um, refund that I'm seeking. People have questioned that, but zero people I've spoken to have questioned me on the merits of the case. A hundred percent of people that I have spoken to believe that I am in the right on uh, on this case. 
Well, the other thing um, that I think is kind of uh, brilliant is to use small claims court where they can't, you know, paper you to death and lawyer you to death, where it definitely would not be worth, I mean, the amount of money you would have to spend to actually bring the case. But in small claims court, there basically there are no lawyers, right? Right, so, no, no lawyers. That the filing fee was, I think, one hundred and three dollars or some. So, so pretty small. Uh, yeah, going going to regular court would not have been an option for me because I, it would have been you know the, the legal fees for my own case would have been higher than, than what I could have recovered. Yeah. So my, my my only two real options were small claims court and a class action. And while a class action would have been fun. Um, I, I, I think it probably would have been a little bit too much of a drain on my time, um, for, for what I had to gain. Now, one of the reasons I am making this pursuit, uh, as public as I am is that I'm, I know that I am not the only person who has had, uh, bets incorrectly graded as a result of this. And I would like everyone to be able to, to, to get what they are owed, not just me. So I'm hoping to set a precedent. And, and I've said publicly that if Caesar's lawyers were to call me tomorrow and say, hey, I'll give you your 2300 bucks, but you have to sign a confidentiality agreement and never speak of this again, my answer would be no. Like, I, I, I am coming not only for myself, but as a representative of the community that has to deal with so many legal shenanigans in terms of you know limiting sharps and uh, unfair marketing practices with risk-free bets and all these things. They're legally allowed to do all those things. So I can't stop them. The least I can do on behalf of my community is stop them from doing something that is illegal. Yeah. I, I've always thought that um, if, if I were to uh, ever be involved in a lawsuit, um, and, you know, maybe my attitude would change if I've actually gone through it. But my attitude would be uh, the confidentiality agreement would be a deal breaker. Like, you know, because, yeah, I, I would want it public what what they do to people. Um, yeah, so. de- definitely. And, and, you know, as a, as someone who has a little bit of a voice in the space, you know the the money itself is not all that consequential to me. It's you no, know, it's it's a decent amount of money, and I don't want to lose it. But that's not the main reason I'm doing this. The main reason I'm doing this is number one, just to be able to to have a good story to tell, and number two, to to help the community. And and I I hope to succeed in in both of those, uh, both of those goals. Yeah, now, fighting the good fight. That's right. Well, I don't know if I ever was offered a quarter million dollars from a casino, but I had to be quiet about it. I, I, I don't know how much principal I'd have at that point. I'm not, I'm not know, sure but, either. But <laughs> Bob, it's not, it's not all or nothing, right? I mean, it's not zero or two fifty. The problem is that most people, I think, they fold way too soon, and um, and say no, this is a deal breaker, the confidentiality part, and let them come back to you with a new offer. And this is like, absolutely so, wrong. So, for that example, part. you know, there is a horrendous case of a well-known advantage player who had the crap beat out of him between the Excalibur and the Luxor. I mean, I mean, this was shortly after I think the uh, October first thing, and and you know when they hired, they started hiring like security guards who thought they were SWAT team members in, you know, jackboots. And, and, uh, anyway, they, they beat the crap out of him. Conveniently, the video seemed to have disappeared. Uh, you know, and apparently there was a settlement that was to, uh, everyone's, uh, agreement or whatever, but, but there was a confidentiality about it, which I think is a shame. Because I, you know, I'd love to see that on national news that casinos beat the crap out of people. Yeah, but well, th- th- this one isn't quite as uh, in- injurious to me. No, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> similar idea. And I, 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 I can I, a little tiny bit of me can sympathize with Caesars because I think what happened was they misunderstood their own rules and their initial decision. They actually paid out some winners that they should have voided as well. So that if they go back and do the right thing now, they will end up, you know, pay, paying the winners and kind of voiding some of the bets that would have lost. But 
that's their problem. Like they should have read their own rules carefully before they took any action at all. So that that is my microscopic level of, of sympathy for but Caesars is one of many sports books. There's MGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, SI Sports, etc. Uh, did they take the same road that Caesars did, or did they handle it more honorably? I believe they handled it the right way. Now, all of the bets in question on my my own personal account happen to be at Caesars, so I don't have firsthand experience with um, how this would have been treated at any of the other books. Just, just all, all my action on these teams just happened to be at Caesars. But I, I don't, I haven't heard of any other uh, sites having graded this as incorrectly um, as, as Caesars did, or the ones that did. Some books actually have a clause in their rules that says must play 17 games unless the outcome has already been established. And if Caesars had had that in their house rules, I wouldn't have a case. Um, but but they don't. All right, let's move on. You taught a course in Bayesian probability at analytics.bet, or maybe you're teaching it again. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I did teach a course. Um, the, the first offering of this course was about a year ago. It was uh, last the winter of 2022. It was a 12-week course. I was honored to be invited uh, by the principals, the owners of analytics.bet, Harry Crane, Philip Myman, who uh, I, I, I got to know uh, last year and I've become friends with. Great people, really smart professors. And they, they started this, this school called analytics.bet, which aims to provide an education in sports betting that is of a university level of quality. And so my course is... is I mean, is it more like graduate level or... Um, there are different tracks. So, so when, I, when I came out with my course, I, I, made, um, I, I made a conscious effort to make it, I guess, what you would call undergraduate level. So nothing in my course required any more than a high school level mathematics background because I really wanted to make this as, as accessible to a wide range of, of um, potential students as I could. If, you, if I'd said you need a math degree to take this course, you know, I, I doubt I would have had, uh, had many takers. So uh, and I believe that's the case for most or all of their offering. It would be kind of undergraduate uh, or lower kind of level such that it's open to the, the, the widest possible number of potential students. So I talked this course, it covers what I like to call small data. Everyone talks about big data these days, big data, this big data, that I don't specialize in big data. I specialize in small data. And what I mean by that is what do you do when you have information that is of a sample size that is too large to ignore but too small to completely rely on. And this is something that is taught, I think, fairly well in the actuarial education system, but not all that well anywhere else. So what I try to do is take what I've learned, both in my formal education and in my years of practice, and distill it to something that is useful for practitioners in the sports betting space. And there's a big difference between teaching in an academic setting and teaching in a practitioner setting. So I'm not giving any proofs of theorems. I'm not using any Greek letters. I'm not using any calculus. There's a lot of things that are kind of gatekeepy in the academic world that don't really resonate a lot with me as someone who's trying to actually use this stuff um, in the real world. So it was really focused on a, on a real world, practical kind of, of context. We had 51 students, uh, which is actually quite a few more than I had been expecting. I would have been happy with 20. Ended up with 51. Um, the majority of the feedback I got was good. Um, actually had a couple of, of success stories come out of that class. So you had Amber, my friend Amber on uh, about a month or two. She is yeah, a graduate Amber of the class. Amber Gamble. Um, she's great. And, and she came into the class with not too much of a mathematical or a sports betting background. And she has really made a, a name for herself in the community 
and also um, a, a niche for herself in, in the betting space. Um, so that's one. Another one of my former students actually got a job working with Rufus Peabody, who I think you've had on here a few times, who's one of the, the sports bettors uh, out there. So yeah, I think some, most of the people got what they wanted to or, or more uh, out of the class. In terms of what comes next, so the recordings of the lectures are have been and are still available um, for kind of purchase and, and taking the course sort of offline at your own pace um, is something that is uh, right now at Analytics. Uh, I would love to do a second round of live classes uh, if and when we get the, the, the sort of critical mass of interest uh, that is needed to do it. Um, I think Harry and his team have also had some discussions offering the class in a institutional corporate setting, you know, wh whether you have uh, a sports book that has maybe 20 employees who want to all take the class or something like that. I think that we're investigating as well. So lots of, uh, lots of different things that we might do with that in the future. Without getting too far into the weeds, can you give an example of the kind of small data you're talking about where... Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the earliest problems that we look at over the course of, of the class is uh, NBA halftime totals. So let's say you have an NBA game, pregame total is 240. So the first half is now finished and there have been 100 points scored in the first half. Where do you put the second half total? And the two sort of extreme ends of the schools of thought are, number one would be, okay, what I learned in the first half is completely reliable. There were 100 points scored in the first half. I'm going to extrapolate that. And 200 would be my fair you know, live total at halftime. The other extreme end of the spectrum is to say, okay, well, I, the, the, the 100 points that we observed in the first half has zero predictive value at all. I'm going to revert to what's called my prior of 240 points per game or 120 point per half. I know there's a little bit of a scoring difference between the first and second half, but let's ignore that for the sake of, of example. I'm going to take the 120 I expect in the second half plus the 100 I already observed in the first half and 220 would be my fair live total. And really the world of small data lives in between that 200 and that 220. And it really depends how much weight you want to give to your observation, your, what you saw in the first half, versus how much weight you want to give to your prior. And one of the questions that is important there is, okay, well, you thought the pregame total was 240. How sure were you of that? Were you absolutely certain 240 was the right number or was 240 the center of a range that might have gone from you know 180 up to 300? Um, any estimate we make, and this is the cool thing about sports betting compared to you know roulette or blackjack or craps, all of the probabilities in sports betting have to be estimated from data, from markets, from whatever. Whereas in most games in the casino, the probabilities are a natural consequence of the laws of physics. So there's an extra layer of uncertainty whenever you are dealing with probabilities in a sports betting context. And that is what this course is all about because you're, you're estimating probabilities based on information. Information is always changing. You're always getting new information and you have to decide, well, how much should I trust my new information? How much should I trust my number before I got that new information? What is signal? What is noise? And all these cool things that uh, that form the basis of the class, what used to be called Bayesian sports betting, and is now known as the art of sports betting analytics. <laughs> That's Harry's name. Yeah, I don't mind it because there 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 is some art and there is some science really to to this more so than most kind of probabilistic analysis that you might see in advantage betting. You know, there 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 is a uh, an art layer in terms of how you set your model up, how you make your assumptions, you know, because no model is perfect. Um, you have to come up with the, the data, the way you're going to use the data, the assumptions you're going to make in a way that gives you the most accurate possible outcomes with the minimal level of processing work. And that's the challenge. All right. 
last year in April, there was an event in Vegas called Bet Bash 2. Uh, you were there. How did that go for you? I was there. Um, my expectations going in, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I, I had been to um, in real life gambling meetups before back when I played poker many, many years ago. I had been to academic conferences before. I didn't know if this was going to be more like one, more like the other, a combination of both. You know, it, it was really um the first of its kind, other than that one day kind of bet bash one that uh, I wasn't able to attend uh, because it was my son's birthday that day. Um, but yeah, bet bash two was time of my life. I, I just loved every minute of it. Uh, I, I had a hoarse voice by the end of it, as I think most, from talking so much, from hearing so many interesting stories, um, from from meeting Richard. Uh, I got there. The uh, got there. I think it was one of the first events, and I'm like, "Hey, there, there's Richard Munchkin. M- Richard Munchkin, excuse me. Uh, you know, I'm going to go introduce myself." And and you know, he was just the nicest guy, and we started talking. We became friends, and, and you know, some of these people who I had only interacted with uh, on Twitter and on a couple of podcasts, just meeting these people in real life was was really it was like advantage betting fantasy camp. Um, and then getting to meet uh, Jelko, who is arguably the greatest of all time in terms of advantage players. Um, I, I was at, I think, the opening event talking to Rufus. And Rufus said, hey, Jelko's here. How would you like to meet him? And I said, of course I'd like to meet him. So Rufus introduces me. And he was just the, the humble, kind, nicest guy. Like for somebody who has had the success and the wealth that he has like you would never be able to tell just from talking to the guy. He was like the the, the epitome of of down to earth. And uh, talked to him a couple of times during the the course of the event, which was worth the price of admission in, in, on its own. And you know, he, he and I still text each other occasionally. He texts me out of nowhere to wish me a happy new year. And like, who am I? I'm nobody. And he's the greatest there ever was. And and, and just to be. Um, in that situation and, and get to meet someone like that, you know, as well as the other amazing people such as yourself, Richard, who, uh, who were there, uh, it, it is something that uh, I would call it a once in a lifetime opportunity, but uh, it's just been announced as Bet Bash 3 coming up uh, this August. And I, I'm, I'm planning on being there. I hope, uh, I hope you, Richard, and you, Bob, uh, are, are going to get to, to, to have the announced well. location. Uh, it is going to be also oh, in Vegas again. They were talking about having it and in Chicago. It's it's a, were they are they talking about having it in a couple of different places? I think Costa Rica was uh, was one of the. Uh, <laughs> now that would be interesting. Uh, there's, there's, there's there's so many uh, there's so many uh, offshore sites that are that are based there, so it would make some sense. Easiest for for us North Americans to uh, to get to. Um, yeah, I think Chicago might have been mentioned. New York might have been mentioned. I think at the end of the day, Vegas is just the easiest to get to. Uh, hotel prices are reasonable. The Circa was, was a fantastic yes. host last year. And I, I believe they're opening or have opened some new conference space uh, in the Circa, uh, whereas we had to have most of the, the conference activities down the street at the D uh, last year. So I, I think... Well, they do. Um, they they had a, a theater that they there. debuted for the Super Bowl and they had the Super Bowl party, and it was, um, it would be a suitable, a similar size to the D ballroom that they used last year for Bet Bash Two. And okay, yeah. So I believe that is where it is going to be. Um, I hope they have seminars again. And this is another thing that was just a, a, a bucket list opportunity for me to be able to not only attend but present as part of the analytics.bet seminar where you have just some of the, the greatest minds in gambling just kind of sitting there and, and listening to, to me give a presentation. It's just something, it's one of the, the, those things in life where you're like, all right, you know, I, I can hang with these guys kind of. I'm, I'm in the big leagues now. And it was, it was special for me to be. Well, I, I really enjoyed the panel discussions too. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm not even a sports better, but um, I just found them really interesting and um, and entertaining. And I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed um, Bet Bash. Uh, I had a great time. I didn't know what to expect. Um, 
you know, basically I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go and basically uh, troll for guests for the show. Successfully. <laughs> um, but, but as I say, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, I had a, I had a great time. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And if it's in August at Circa, I will be there. It is great. It is, I believe, August 8th through the 11th at the Circa. You can go to betbash.co, I believe, uh, is the website. I'm sure Spanky would come on here and uh, and talk to you all about it. Actually, um, he's planning to. Um, there's a... We're just waiting for a certain announcement about some stuff and, and then... When it's all ready, then he's going to come on. And all right, I can't wait. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. I think also the timing of it has to do with, um, you know, the whole uh, football, um, you know, tournaments there at Circa. Um, you know, getting people there prior to the whole football season starting, and, and yeah, that would uh, make sense because that would be prime time to sign up for the the Circa Survivor, the Circa Millions, the other contests that are uh, yeah. that are going on around town. So yeah, that would make sense because I'm, I'm sure a lot of these uh, contest entrants from out of town would plan to travel to Vegas anyway at some point during the few weeks leading up to the season, so they can register for these contests. Do you play any of those contests? I didn't last year. Uh, I did a couple of years ago. Maybe I will again next year. Um, the, the the one thing that, that sort of turned me off these contests, uh, when I played the, I believe it was the Super Contest, I think it was about three years ago, uh, I played, I had a group of people who, who were friends of mine here in, in Toronto, and we had a joint entry. We cashed for a pretty small amount, I think it a couple of thousand bucks and they actually withheld i think it was 30 or 35 percent uh, tax and you know i know that that's that's normal for for you americans uh but in canada gambling winnings are not taxable and i believe it's that way in most of the world i think the americans are the uh, are the outliers on this so um whenever you you, you enter one of these tournaments based in the u.s Anything you win gets taxed and you can get it back, but it's a real hassle, a lot of paperwork. You have to fill in some IRS paperwork to, to reclaim the money. And that, that whole experience kind of turned me off the, the, the contest circuit just because once you factor in the tax consequences, um, you know, the, the, the EV becomes way lower. It's a lot of work. You have to keep track. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing Survivor, you have to plan your whole strategy and then adjust as things happen during the season. Uh, if you're playing the the Pick'em contest, whether it's a Circa Millions or the Westgate Super Contest, you've got to figure out your whole kind of algorithm for how much you're going to wait that the steam plays and how much you're going to, you know, fade the public or fade the Sunday night game because everyone likes to play that. And, and it's just not something that I had enough uh, enough free time to think about last year, but lots of time this year to to try and change my mind on that one. All right, we have lots more questions for Matt at Plus EV Analytics, but first we have to hear from our sponsors. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Tales from the Felt is a new card counting and advantage play coffee table book that takes you inside the grind. 21 stories by 21 different APs. Adventure, intrigue, and loneliness on the path to beating casinos for millions. Beautifully illustrated and bound, this collector's edition book features Hall of Famers and emerging heroes of the game. 
Proceeds from this book go to help those affected by problem gambling. Learn more at store.blackjackapprenticeship.com, and there is a link in the show notes. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Max Action Poker, where you pay six to ten coins per line, and all the pay schedule categories from three of a kind and higher are bumped. You get a more valuable game, EVY, the more coins you play. You also get more variance. It will require learning an entirely new strategy. Since flushes and straights pay so much more than what you're used to, your intuition will be way off on how to play the hands. Now, it's not going to be particularly difficult as existing software is fully capable of creating this new strategy for you, but it is something that you should go through before you attempt to play this game in a casino. If you're interested in getting an edge at sports betting, then unabated.com is a great resource for you. Founded by frequent Gambling with an Edge guests, Captain Jack and Rufus Peabody, Unabated is designed for both new and experienced sports bettors. Their real-time odds screen, tools, and calculators take a lot of the guesswork out of trying to quantify your edge. There's also plenty of free education and instruction to help you along your journey to becoming a sharper sports better. You can currently take advantage of a seven-day free trial to decide if the premium membership at Unabated is right for you. All right, we're talking with Matt at Plus EV Analytics. Now, when you were last on our show, Rich, we learned that you uh, have a full-time job and are sport part-time sports better. Richard asked you if you ever wanted to become a full-time sports better, and you said, um, basically, you you're better off with a full-time job. Now, has that changed in the last two years, or do you see it changing soon? That has not changed in the last two years. I don't anticipate it changing anytime soon. And really the reasons haven't changed either. I, I have a great job at a great company that I, I, I enjoy. I enjoy the work. I enjoy the people. Um, the money is decent. And I, I, I'm really trying to have it all um, because yes, I have been fairly successful in sports betting. 2022 was my best year ever, mostly because uh, my home jurisdiction of Ontario finally uh, opened up, legalized in, uh, in 2022. Um, but it's just not something I could see myself doing full time. Um, even if I could make a, a living income this year and next year and maybe the year after, I've got a good 20 plus years of, of working career left. And I am not confident enough that I can predict what the state of sports betting is going to be like as we get towards the tail end of my working years to be able to be confident that this can put food on the table for, for the rest of my life. Um, so that's the main reason why continuing in my dual role as a uh, full-time actuary and a gambler in my spare time as a hobby. You were, uh, before we started off the air, you were kind of uh, pessimistic about the future of sports betting. Uh, why was that? I, I am. And I think I'm in I'm the, the, the minority in, in uh, what I'm about to say. But let me offer you an analogy. So say you have an intersection of two really busy roads, four lane roads, north, south, east, west, busy intersection, okay? And suppose at all four corners of this intersection are gas stations. You have four different gas stations. They're each setting their own price and they each offer four different types of gas, your, your economy, your mid-grade, your premium, and your diesel, okay? They're each setting their own price and just by coincidence, each one happens to be a couple cents cheaper than the others on one of, on a different one of the four types of gas. So you have four gas stations. Each one is a little bit cheaper on their own type. But unless you are the uh, 
shrewdest of penny pinchers, most people are not going to make a difficult left turn across four lanes of traffic to save a couple of pennies a gallon on gas. They're just going to go to the station that is kind of directly in their in their path or convenient for so what each of these stations is going to see when they rack up their sales at the end of the month is the guy who was a couple of cents cheaper on diesel is probably going to sell a little bit more diesel than the other stations but not too much more they're going to have a pretty even mix just because people are going to go for whatever is convenient now suppose a city comes in and the city builds a network in this intersection of tunnels and ramps that makes it easier for anybody traveling on any road in any direction to reach any of those four gas stations. So you're no longer making a tough left across four lanes. There is a tunnel that will get you right to wherever you want to go. So what's going to happen now? Now the cost of shopping has come way, way down. And then what you would find now is the guy who was a couple of cents cheaper on diesel is going to sell almost exclusively diesel because the guy who wants premium is going to go to the station that's a couple of cents cheaper on premium because it costs almost nothing and the inconvenience is much much less of shopping around these tunnels and ramps are your dawn best your unabated your bet stamp your spank odds they're they're different products they're aimed at slightly different audiences i would say but they do essentially the same thing which is they will tell you for any given game for any given bet they will put all the different books odds in front of you at the same time on one screen whereas before if you wanted to shop for the best lines you would have to open up 20 different windows log into 20 different books and you know there were some really shrewd penny pinchers who i'm sure did that but the majority did not this makes it much much easier so what you're going to get going back to the gas station analogy the diesel guy is going to sell almost exclusively diesel which is not that much of a problem for him because yeah maybe he has um, misinterpreted or, or, or not evaluated the, the competition all that well. But he's not an idiot. He's not going to price his diesel at less than what it costs him uh, from the wholesaler to, to acquire it. So he's not going to lose money, even if he's priced a little bit cheaper than the competition. Now, imagine for a second that the guy buying his dealer from the wholesaler didn't know in advance what his wholesale price was going. He found out at the end of the month, okay, here's what you owe me for all the diesel you bought from me in the last month. What he would have to do is he would have to guess what his wholesale price and then mark it up. And with that, now you introduce the possibility that the diesel guy is going to be cheapest on diesel because he misestimated his costs. And that is more similar to what you see in the insurance industry. And it is more similar to what the betting industry, in my opinion, could become if these odd screens become um, adopted more in, a, in more of a widespread way. If you look at uh, the travel industry, it's, it's almost second nature these days. If you want to book a, a flight somewhere, you go to a Expedia or a Travelocity or one of these aggregators and you type in where you want and it will search all the airlines and find you the best deals. It wasn't always this way. It's second nature now. And I think that is what could potentially happen with these odd screens. If they become the Expedia of, of sports betting and it just becomes second nature for a large share of the betting population to use these odd screens what you're going to happen is, is what's going to happen is that books are going to disproportionately write action where they are the best price in the market and so that's going to push the holds way down it may not necessarily push them to negative or to zero but you don't have to you know you look at these companies that are that are coming out with financial results these days they're holding seven eight percent and they're still losing money because their expense load is so high between systems and marketing and banking expenses like so you hold I, yeah so what is the fear that that some of them go out of business or i mean 
Yeah. So, so what could happen? So what could happen is the gas stations could start to collude and they could start to all charge the same price and all move at the same time in the same way. That's one thing that could happen is that every book would find a way to move pretty much in lockstep to avoid this adverse selection problem. Another thing that could happen is the industry could consolidate where of the 30 books in the industry, you know, you may have two or three left by the time some of them either go out of business or get merged or bought by some of the larger players. That's one possibility. Uh, another possibility really is the whole industry could just implode if, um, <laughs> yeah, you say, you say no, but I think right now we're very early in this odd screen adoption. You, you have, you have some very, very good products out there from Betstamp, from Spank Odds, from Unabated, but they have not yet caught on um, in a way that it's really disrupting the industry all that much. We've gone from, yeah. I'm making up numbers here, but let's say used to be 1%, now 2% will will actively shop for, for lines. What happens if that number ever becomes 50% or 70%? I think the industry will look a lot different from what it looks like today. Adverse selection, and I've lived through this um, as someone who works in the insurance industry where the economics are fairly similar. Adverse selection is no joke. And um, the, the lower you make those barriers to shopping, the easier you make it for customers uh, to, to, to find the best lines. Uh, it, it, and I'm not saying this is 100% definitive, definitively what could happen, but I think it's a very real possibility that these holds that sports books are carrying are going to start to inch lower and lower and lower as line shopping starts to take more effect. And so the one thing that could happen, books could double down on their marketing to say, hey, you know, don't shop for the best lines. Come to come to my book because my book has the best service and the best promotions and you know the easiest user experience and blah 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 to 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 discourage that behavior. And and they might try that. It might work. It might not. Um, but I think that that people who assume that the sports betting industry in ten years will look like it looks now, uh, I, I think there's a very real possibility that it will not. I think it could change. I mean, I have a couple of thoughts. One, I think people are basically lazy and I can't, you know, I, I've heard several people say things like, oh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's plus 140 somewhere else, but it's only plus 120 at this place, but that's where I have my money on deposit. So I'm just going to bet it anyway. Uh, you know, because that, they don't have money in all the different accounts. That, um, that yeah, and and the the customer service thing, uh, I can get. I remember when I first moved to Vegas, I was playing backgammon with a guy, and he told me he was a bookie, and I was like, "How can you be a bookie in Vegas? Like anybody can just walk into a sports book and and make the bets." And he goes, "Yeah, but they can't call the sports book on Sunday morning in their underwear and make the bets." And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, if you're providing service that the other books don't, maybe you get more of a market share. But, you know, in, when you're dealing with a vice like gambling, I, I just can't see it imploding. Although I can see it if the if people become educated about it, I can see it shifting to a... Um, you know, rather than a bookmaker model shifting to a, uh, you know, like a Betfair or a, or a uh, paramutual model, par which is, or a paramutual model, yeah, which something is something like that. that that I've thought about a lot over the years. And and the good thing about a paramutual model is that it it's got this built in immunity to adverse selection because all the players are playing against each other, and the house just takes a, a rake. So if you think about what happened back in the poker boom. Um, it started out where all most of the players were, were fairly uh, inexperienced, uneducated, didn't know what they were doing. They wanted to play the game they were seeing on TV, and they just were not very good at it. And the people who were really good at poker uh, made a lot of money. And then eventually, the average of the player pool got sharper and sharper and sharper, 
partially because the worst players ran out of money and quit, and partially because some of the bad players got themselves educated, read books, and became better at the game. So the average skill level of the pool, for those two reasons, is improving and improving and improving over time. The, the poker sites didn't really care because they got their rake either way, um, but the players then had to sort of rise to the level of the competition to continue um, playing poker as a sustainable source of, of income. And that's about when I stopped because I was good, but I wasn't good enough to continue winning once you know the Americans all got uh, banned and the, the, the player pool just sharpened up uh, quite a bit. And that's sort of when I pivoted to just the sports betting. And, and so I, I agree with you, Richard, because when you say this is a vice and, and the industry is not going to go away, I think you're absolutely right. The biggest difference between other gambling games and sports betting is when you run a casino, the odds are in your favor. The odds are always going to be, you know, the, the, the odds of the, the rules of craps are, are known. They are well-defined. You know, unless you, you start, you know, doing some some funny things. But in the in the majority of cases, you kind of know what you're getting into when you run a craps game or a blackjack game or a roulette game. When you are running a sports book, the economics of that are so, so different. There is no way to guarantee that you have the odds in your favor like you can when you're running a roulette table because you have to offer every side of every market, of every game, of every day. And meanwhile, you have a community, a world of bettors who are just waiting for you to make a mistake or to be five minutes slow on, on a line move because you know LeBron James just announced he's out with an injury. The information is always emerging from the universe and it is impossible to be on top of all of it to the millisecond. So you as a sportsbook operator are not able to run your business with the certainty that you have an edge that you would have when you're running a casino. And that I think is something that is not um, paid enough attention to by the industry because they're all doing fine right now because again, I'm going to make this number up. 2% of the population is, is line shopping. What's going to happen when that number gets larger, if that number gets larger? I don't know if it will, but I do know that if it does, and there are at least three or four companies out there who are trying to make it happen because they have really good products and they just have to market them. You know, the, the guy who is taking plus 120 because he's, he's too lazy to take plus 140, one day he might have an epiphany. One day he might realize, and it may be as simple as just the, the odd screen speaking to him or her in a way that resonates with him or her. Hey, you know, you, 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 you lost a thousand dollars betting last month based on your results. You could have won 2000 if you had made the exact same bets you made, but been more choosy about where you made them. Well, that resonates with me as an amateur better, you know, who wouldn't like to win instead of lose, or who wouldn't like to lose less instead of lose more. I think the hook is, is sort of yet to be, discovered in terms of what is that one turning point that really pushes up the adoption of these odd screens. But I think it's going to happen at some point sooner or later. There are just too many good products out there, too many smart people behind them. And the, the population of sports bettors, they're not getting dumber over time. They're getting smarter over time. You still have a bunch of squares. You're always going to have a bunch of squares. But I can foresee a period of time in the future, just like poker. People are still playing poker today, um, but there, there are not as many people playing poker as prominently as there were in, when was the height of the poker boom? I'm, I'm too old. 2003. It started nine? in 2003. Started in three with Chris Moneymaker, right? Yeah. And then for five, five or so years, poker was everywhere. Yeah. And I think right now, sports betting is everywhere. Like even in, in, in my home country of Canada, um, there is a Saturday night hockey game every, every week. It's called Hockey Night in Canada. And it is a national institution in kind of a similar way that Monday night football is in, in America. And um, the, the first intermission of Hockey Night in Canada is one of the biggest prestige TV spots in 
Canadian sports media. I don't know if you know a guy named Don Cherry. Uh, he was a big Canadian kind of loudmouth pundit, and he used to have that first intermission slot uh, until he got fired for making some racist comments a couple of years ago. But for anyway, this is the prestige TV spot for Canadian sports media. And last year, um, my friend Annie, A- Andy McNeil, uh, he's a digital gambler on Twitter, and he they actually put him on Hockey Night in Canada in that first intermission spot talking about the betting lines. And, and this was just like a, a, a crazy um, amount of, of emphasis and prestige to put on this. And it, it made sense because ever since April, at least in Ontario, um, ever since April of 2022, sports betting has been everywhere. But I can foresee a point in time where that may no longer be the case. People are going to bet sports forever. But there might be a time where the sort of sexiness level of sports betting drops like the sexiness level of poker has dropped in the last decade or so. And when that happens, again, that will be a catalyst for uh, some of the less sharp bettors to drop out of the market. The sharp bettors are not going anywhere because it's a source of income for them. But again, what happens when the average skill level of the population increases? In poker, it just made it harder for all the players. In sports betting, that pain is going to go to the operators unless there are some big changes made. I just want to make uh, mention one thing before we get to um, recommendations. Um, they did try paramutual sports betting in Las Vegas. I think it was in the 80s. And um, it, it is legal here, but uh, they tried it and they just couldn't get it to catch on. They just couldn't get uh, people to to bet would, into it. So. It would have to be marketed in a very specific way to sort of highlight the differences between traditional sports betting and this paramutualism. The, the, the biggest downside would be that you as a better wouldn't know the odds you're getting until after the, the game has started, sort of like it is in horse racing today. And I think that would be a, a challenge to educate bettors on, on kind of why that's not the end of the world if you bet something at plus 160 and it's plus 140 by the time tip-off happens. Um, That would be a challenge. I don't think it is insurmountable. Um, And I think it may have just been ahead of its time a little bit, as much as you can say about something that's been around for 150 years. Um, I I think its time will come. 2023 may not be the right time. But I think that if and when all of these challenges to the that I'm talking about ever come to pass, I think that would be one of possible directions the industry could go to get away from this, what, what, I, what I think is an existential threat of adverse selection. We're not there yet. One day we might be. If our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way to do that? Best way would be on Twitter at plus EV analytics, all one word, P-L-U-S-E-V analytics. As you all know by now, at the end of the show, we have a recommended section, and Bob's internet has cut out, so I'm going to go right into my recommended. I'm watching a really, really great show right now. Um, I A few weeks back or months ago, I recommended a show, uh, an Israeli show called Hit and Run, and somebody wrote to me and said, you know, the same actor is in this show called Fauda, F-A-U-D-A. It's an Israeli show about a um, special operations group and uh, same actor that's in Hit and Run. It is, they have four seasons. It is really, really well done. Very suspenseful. Uh, really, really good show. And how about you, Matt? you have something to recommend for us this week? I do, and, and I apologize for committing a little bit of podultery, although uh, Richard's actually in this one, so maybe it's only uh, half podultery. But uh, Risk of Ruin is a fantastic podcast, uh, and they do episodes not only on betting, but uh, stock market, they've done a couple, a- anything involving risk. Um, and there was an episode last week actually about dice control in craps, which is a subject that I now know a lot more about than I ever thought I would. 
Um, it's a fascinating story. A lot of really kind of mechanical engineering type stuff. Uh, the guys actually built a robot, dice throwing robot to see if they could reproduce the perfect role. Um, and, and uh, like I said, Richard is in it as well as a couple of other uh, people who were involved in that story. And I, I, I highly recommend all of his podcasts at risk of ruin, uh, but especially the most recent, I believe it's called rabbit hole and it's about uh, advantage play in craps. Yeah, it's an excellent, excellent episode. Really good. Okay, well, that's it for our show this week. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.